If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 9 again, and we will begin in verse 57, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. And today I want to talk to you about something that may seem kind of odd, may be a little shocking even. I want to talk to you about reasons not to follow Christ. Reasons not to follow Christ. And I recognize that may seem counterintuitive that a pastor is speaking to his congregation on Sunday morning in church about reasons to not follow Christ. Uh, but I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand. I do want you to follow Christ. I, I urge you to follow Christ. I, I plead with you to commit your life to Him, uh, both in, in the matter of salvation, but also as a Christian in following Him in daily obedience and taking up your cross and following Him and, and so forth. That is my earnest desire for you. To, uh, to, to not only be saved, but to grow ever more like Him and to grow closer to Him. So why am I talking to you today about the opposite path from that in not following Christ? Well, I'm doing that for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's where the text goes, and so I, I try and follow the text, and, and where it goes, we're going to go. Um, but, but in that text, we're going to see Jesus' reaction to three different people. Now, these three people come to Him. And a couple of them volunteer, you might say, to follow him. He doesn't approach them and say, follow me. They say, Jesus, I'm, I want to follow you. And we, we're going to look at his interaction with them. And then there's a guy that, that Jesus says, follow me. And then we'll see his, his reaction to Jesus and the excuse that he gives and so forth. And as we look at these things, I want us to see and I want us to, to apply these things to our own lives and see if, if we fall into any of the three categories that these three people fall into. So if you found Luke chapter 9, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word if you're able. And we'll pick up in verse 57 and read down to the end of the chapter. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we look at the, the, the text, we're going to start back in verse 57. The first reason that, that we might not follow Christ is that we haven't counted the cost. We haven't counted the cost. Look again at verse 57. It says that Jesus is traveling. Now, you remember if you've been following along that Jesus has, has done all these miracles. He's been transfigured. And, and the Bible says that he is, he is headed towards Jerusalem. That is, uh, he, he, he's drawing near to his crucifixion. And so he set his face like a, a flint stone. And he's, he's going to Jerusalem. Now, as he's traveling, you remember they, they were going through Samaria, and the Samaritans were inhospitable to him. They wouldn't let him stay, and they wouldn't let the disciples make arrangements. And what was James and John's response, his disciples? You remember, they wanted to have, uh, they wanted to call down fire from heaven. They wanted to, to, to cook them, because they were so offended that these people would reject Jesus. Now, Jesus said, that's, that's not what we're about, and they went on to a different village. Now, as he's as he's traveling, we don't know if he's making his way to that, uh, that, that village or beyond that as he's making his way to Jerusalem. But somewhere along that journey, someone calls out and says, I will follow you. I will follow you. Now, 
Now, we don't know a lot about this person. Matthew is, is more specific than Luke because Luke just says somebody said it. Someone says it. Matthew says that this was a scribe. Now, we read about the scribes quite a bit in the New Testament, but many of us don't know who they were. So who were the scribes? Well, the scribes were learned men. Many of them did not believe in Christ, but they were learned men whose profession it was to be, it was to be extremely familiar with the law of God. Okay, so, so uh, it, if, it, it wasn't just being familiar with what was written. Because when you read through the law portions of the Old Testament, especially like you get to Leviticus, and sometimes we read about, you know, if, if an ox gets out and gores somebody, and then they, you know, then, then it's not put to death. But if it does it again, then it's put to death. And all these, all these different things. And you read through, and sometimes it's, it, and, and I don't want this to sound irreverent, but it's almost not mind-numbing, isn't it? Just to read the, those laws over and over and over, and all these different uh, categories, and, 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 and it gets down, it seems like, into the minutiae sometimes. And... And when you think about it, it seems like it's pretty, pretty specific. But when you think about it, these are actually pretty broad categories because it doesn't give us every possible scenario in which these laws can apply. And so it's really what you call today case law. And so what it was is it would give us some principles. And when a situation, a legal situation, would come before a judge in Israel, it was his job to take these Old Testament laws bring out the principle and see how it would apply and apply it legally to these other cases. Okay, so, so as you might imagine, that got to be pretty, a pretty big body of work, so to speak. But also at the time, they didn't have the ability to mass produce documents like we do. They couldn't type. They, the writing stuff was, was not easy. I mean, they, you just didn't have a bunch of paper like you do now. You couldn't mass produce something. You couldn't Xerox something. They didn't have typesetting. You just couldn't do it. So it was very labor intensive and very expensive to make those, make those documents. And I say that because what would happen is there are all these laws, all these applications, and it was the job of the scribe to memorize and understand how all these things were applicable. And because they didn't have the writing capabilities and, and the mass, mass production capabilities that we have today, much of that, what they had memorized, was passed on orally. And so what they would do is they would have pupils, they would have students gather around them, and they would teach them through repetition all these laws, all these applications to the laws. And and, and they, were, they were zealous for the law. They were very passionate about the law. They were kind of the keepers of the law in, in a sense. And what they said to the people was literally law. Okay, they were almost like legislators and, and, and teachers and, and they had some judicial function. And so not only did they help shape and craft Jewish law by their interpretation, their application, but also through this instruction of the pupils. Okay, so all these, this scribe comes with all this, what we might call today, baggage. If, if there was some debated point in the law, the, the leading scribes would debate those things, they would figure out a consensus, and then they would teach that to their pupils. So you get back to the text today, and here's a scribe that's coming to Jesus. And he says, I will follow you. Now this guy had everything going for him. He was educated. He, he was well acquainted with the law, better than, uh, better than the Jews of his time, many of them. I mean, he, he, he was respected in the community. He had influence. He had all these things going for him. And for most Christians in many churches, if somebody like that rose up in the church and said, I want to follow Jesus, what would be the response? Well, probably most Christians in many churches would jump at the chance 
They would say, here's a guy who has influence. Here's a guy who's familiar with the scriptures. Here's a guy who has all this going for him. He has, he has connections. He, he can make a big difference for the Lord. He can make a big difference for God. And they would put him on the, not only on the church roll, they stick him in, in a Sunday school class. They make him uh, chairman of the deacons, maybe an assistant pastor. I mean, it, he, would, he would be going right up the ladder, so to speak. But if you look at verse 58, this man comes to Jesus with all this stuff that we would look at him and say, this guy, he says he wants to follow Jesus. This is a shoe-in. And what does Jesus say in verse 58? Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now notice that Jesus does not refuse this man's discipleship. This man comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. He does not say, don't do it. He doesn't say, here's all this stuff that's true about me, and if you're going to follow me and be like me, this may be true of you, therefore don't do it. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, this is what's true of me, therefore you better count the cost. Therefore, you better count the cost. The foxes of the holes, uh, the foxes have holes and, and birds of the air have nests. And, and so in nature, there's this natural um, uh, provision for even the, the smallest insignificant creature. And yet here's Jesus. He has nothing. He has no home. He has no bed. He has no pillow to lay his head on. I mean, he is, he's, he's destitute in many ways. And Jesus is saying to the man, and he's saying to us, we need to count the cost. It's not that we should look at all this stuff and say, okay, this may be true, and therefore Jesus doesn't want me to follow him. It's that he says, these things may happen to, uh, may happen to you. If you're going to follow me, you're going to go to the cross, so to speak. It's, it's following him on the death march, and therefore you need to weigh the cost. You need to say, this is what it's going to cost me, and choose him anyway. It's, it's, it's seeing him and saying, you are worth it. You are more valuable than all these things. No matter what it costs, I will follow you. And it's not because Jesus doesn't want disciples, it's that he wants committed disciples. You know, when it comes to breakfast time, there's a difference in commitment between the, egg, or between the chicken and the pig. You got eggs and you got bacon. There's a different level of commitment there. And Jesus doesn't want chickens for disciples. He wants pigs, for lack of a better term. Now, Jesus isn't interested... That's probably gonna that's probably gonna haunt me one of these days. That's gonna be played at my funeral. He wants pigs. So anyway, Jesus is not doing a bait and switch, is he? He's not saying, follow me, and regardless of what the, the, the guys on TV tell you, you know, if you follow me, you'll have health and wealth and, and nice big car and all these things. He's not saying that, and then people get into it and realize that it's not like that. Now he says, This is this is what you can expect. He doesn't want a hasty, impulsive response. He wants somebody that will stay the course. And the question that each of us needs to ask ourselves is, have you, have I, have we counted the cost in following Christ? Have we considered that following Him may result in losing some friends? Have we considered that, that doing so may cost some relationships, may cost some promotional opportunities at work? It may cost ourselves discipline and self-denial and again jesus is not saying don't follow me because it's going to cost you he's saying this is what it's what it's going to cost you therefore i want you to see those things as valuable but see me as more valuable count the cost so that's the first thing maybe one of the reasons that we don't maybe don't follow christ like we should is we don't count the cost the second reason not to follow christ is reluctance Instead of impulsiveness, 
hastiness, impulsiveness, uh, or sorry, reluctance is another reason not to follow Christ. Look at verse 59. And he said to another, Jesus speaking, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. So in the first case, this man came to Jesus wanting to follow him. In this case, Jesus goes to a man and calls him to follow him. And notice verse 59, what he says. He says, follow me, but, however, he said, Jesus says, follow me, but the man is reluctant. He's hesitant. He's disinclined to follow Jesus. And notice the reason that he, that he gives. Because many of us, we look at this and we'd say, yeah, seems reasonable. Because what does he say? Let me go bury my father. Reasonable thing. Why would Jesus tell this man, no? Quite possibly. So there are two, two reasons. Either A, the, the father actually is dead, or B, the father is not dead yet. So if the father is dead, and he says, let me bury my father, I want you to think about it. In today's world, we have embalming and, and different things like that. And so you can kind of choose when you have the service. Back then, you didn't do that. They didn't have the technology that we have today. They, don't, they didn't have the refrigeration and, and things like that. And so when somebody died in that climate, in that time, the burial happened very quickly because putrefaction would, would soon set in. And what they do is they would have the, the burial, and they would put the body in a cave, and they'd roll the stone in front of the cave. And then after a year, the family would go back, and, and the soft tissue, the, 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 the skin and the organs and all that stuff would have, and this is kind of gross, but this is just, this is just the way it was, all that soft tissue would have rotted away and just would have left the skeleton. And what they would do is they would go back, and they would gather up the bones and put it in a stone box called an ossuary and put that ossuary on a little shelf that they had carved into the side of the cave. And that's how you get multiple people in the same grave in the Bible. And so if the man is dead, then it's like this, this, this man is possibly saying, I'll follow you, but let me bury my dad the second time, after a year. I'll bury you after a bit of a delay, Jesus so that's one possibility. The other possibility is the father is not yet dead. Maybe he's terminally ill. Maybe he's just aged. We don't know his health situation. But if he is alive, this man is basically saying, I'll follow you one of these days. After, after dad passes away, we get the estate settled. We get all the, you know, get the house taken care of and the land and all those things. Then I'll follow you. Jesus, I want an indefinite rain check. Now let me ask you this. If somebody is saying something like that, whenever dad dies, is he actually going to follow him? No, because this guy is going to come up with another reason. Because then we'll have to take care of, of some, other, some other things, and there will be another excuse. And so what is Jesus' response then? Verse 60, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. In other words, let the spiritually dead, or the spiritually dead, bury the physically dead. Said another way, let those who have not yet left all and followed me, they've not experienced the new birth, they don't have eternal life, they're not the kingdom of God. Let those people take care of these of these earthly matters. But as for you, you proclaim the kingdom of God. It's the most important. Let those other folks take care of the matters at home. You go out 
and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so maybe with some of us here today, maybe Christ is calling us to something. Maybe he's calling us to serve as a missionary. Maybe he's calling some of us to preach. Maybe he's, maybe he's calling us to salvation, to turn from our sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus and, 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 and to repent and believe on him for salvation and to be saved. And maybe you're like this man, you say, you know what, I'll do that one of these days. I know that God's calling me today for, to, to salvation. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to repent. And I'll do it once things slow down a little bit. How many times, I, 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 saw, I saw, I think it was on Facebook, said something to the effect of uh, uh, being an adult is saying, maybe one of these days things will slow down until you die, basically. Because isn't that the truth? We, every, every time something comes up, we say, well, maybe after things slow down, then I'll do this. Maybe after, you know, maybe after I get settled in at school. Maybe after I get settled in at my job. Maybe, maybe after I get my life straightened out, then I'll come to God. Then I'll turn my life over to Him. Then I'll repent. Then I'll serve Him. If, if, if the preacher will preach a specific text, then I'll, then I'll respond. I'll break off this relationship one of these days. I'll get it. I'll, I'll get to it, even though it's, it's wrong and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I'll, I'll just, you know, one of these days I'll get to it. One of these days will turn into never. Because you'll never follow him if you do that. Because, listen, life does not slow down. Amen? I mean, life just goes faster the older you get. And it seems like, I mean, here we are, we're already almost in September of 2021. And some of us are just now getting used to writing 2000 instead of 1990-something. I mean, it's, it's rapid. It's fast. It goes. It, it, it flies by. You say, well, I'll come to Jesus when I get my life straightened out and I feel worthy enough. You'll never feel worthy enough. You can't feel worthy compared to perfection. If you hold on to that relationship, even if it's inappropriate, until... Until you know some some other predefined time, you'll not do it. You'll never move on out of that. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, not next time you come to church, not next time the preacher gives a certain type of message. Today, you may not have tomorrow. And there's a word in here for the saved folks because, again, God may be calling you to some kind of ministry. And you say, well, I'll, I'll follow him, but at first I'm going to bury my dad. Any number of things. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, you proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. Or maybe, to apply it a little bit differently, maybe... Maybe you're off to use another biblical picture in the far country. You're, you've been living in sin, and God's calling you home. He says, come, follow me, come back home. Don't be like this reluctant man. Last text I want you to see, last reason not to follow Christ, is an unwillingness to prioritize him, an unwillingness to put him number one. Okay, look at verses 61 and 62. Another man, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, there we go again, but first, there's a condition, but first, let me go home and permit me to say goodbye to those at home. 
Now again, this seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? I'll follow you, but first I want to go home and say bye to mom and dad, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa. And there's an evident allusion here to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now in 1 Kings chapter 19, you remember there were two prophets, Elijah, and he had a guy that followed him, followed in his steps, Elisha. Now, Elijah passed the mantle figuratively and literally onto Elisha at one point. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elisha is out farming. And here's what it says in verses 19 to 21. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. Sound familiar? And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Now, why did Elijah tell Elisha this is an okay thing to do, return home, and why did Jesus say, that's not an okay thing to do in this case? Well, evidently, the man that came to Jesus, Jesus knew if, if this man went back home, there was something there that would keep him from following him. Maybe, you know, some, some folks are really, I mean, they're, they are tight with their family. And some people are much less so. Maybe, maybe his attachment to his friends would have been too strong. When he got back and he saw, you know, saw his old bedroom and and saw saw his buddy he used to play football with. And then he went and he talked to his friend that he used to run track with. And you remember how we used to go out and we'd drive around out in the country and we did all this stuff. And and as they got to reminiscing that 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 draw would be so strong, he said, you know what? I've just got too good here. I just miss things too much here at the house. I'll just, I think I'll just, I'll just let Jesus find somebody else. Maybe he was surrounded by unbelieving friends and family. And he knew that, and Jesus knew that if this man went back and he, he asked his unbelieving father, his unbelieving friends, hey, this, this prophetic rabbi said, follow me. He wants me to leave everything and follow him and travel with him. And, and he's talking about going to the cross. What do you think I should do? What do you think they're going to say? You're going to say, dude, are you crazy? you got a good job down at the factory. I mean, you, you hate it. And the boss is a jerk, but you make good money. Don't be doing that. You're going to throw it away. And, and we've got all these, all these people that could have been dissuading him from following Christ. We don't know what the reason is. But for whatever reason, Jesus knew this man, if he followed, if he went back home, he would not follow him. Another difference is that his message even though Elisha's was, was important and pressing, his message was more vital than anything Elisha ever said. And he knew that there was no time to delay. The kingdom is so important that he cannot, we cannot delay in spreading that message. Now, in keeping with this, with this allusion back to the Old Testament and Elisha's call, what is Jesus' answer? What was, what was Elisha doing when Elijah came along? He was plowing, and so what was Jesus' response? Look at verse 62. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
the image, of course, we have tractors today, but the image is of having your, your animals out there that are pulling the plow and you're, you're, you're guiding things. As you're walking the length of that field, you start looking back. What's going to happen? You're not looking where you're going. You're going to have some crooked rows. Your furrows are going to be all over the place. You're not going to end up where you're headed. And, and the, the wording that, that's used here suggests Lot's wife. What happened to her? You remember she and, and, and Lot were in Sodom, sinful, wicked Sodom. The angels were leading them out and said, don't even look back. And what happens? She looks back to the old ways. She looks back to her former life. She looks back instead of ahead. And I think that the lesson from this man is, and his interaction is really a lot like, it really kind of sums up the other two. And that is that Christ must come first in our lives. He must be number one. If anyone says to you or anything says to you, yes, follow Christ, that's fine, but first, there's a problem. Because what, what did these guys say? Yes, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and bury Dad. Yes, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and say bye to everybody. You need to reject whatever that is and follow Him. Don't turn as, as you're going through the Christian life and look longingly and lovingly at the world. Don't, don't look back at the things of the world. Look ahead. Look where you're going, not where you've been. Your windshield's this big and your rearview mirror's this big. You need to look where you're going. And that's really the gist of our text today and, and, and the gist of this message. Whatever would hold you back from following Christ, whether it's in, in, in service or salvation, you either need to put it in its proper place in your life, right priorities, or you need to turn your back on those things and abandon them and instead follow Him. Count the cost. Don't delay and make Him number one. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? Now, as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just I want to encourage you to evaluate your own life. And I'm not setting myself up as some sort of a a model saint because. That, that is not accurate. I am not a model saint. I have feet of clay. I have faults and failures. Sometimes we, we want to follow Jesus, but we get our priorities mixed up. And we make the things of the world more important. We make that number one, and he's number two or three or seven or eight. Jesus wants to see him as valuable. Count the cost. Yes, it may cost you these things, but he's worth it. Paul said all these things he had going for him, he had good birth and education, all these things. He said, I've counted those things, but rubbish. For the privilege of knowing Christ. It could be that God is calling you today to salvation. You've never repented of your sin. 
Jesus is not looking for a half-hearted, partial, non-committal person who will name the name of Christ, but they don't follow him. He's looking for somebody who is all in. Will you turn your back on the things of the world and follow him? Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful for your, again, your word, which speaks so plainly to us. And we can see in the lives of these other people that um, the, the high call of discipleship. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us as believers to follow you with that commitment that you, um, that, that you expect, that you call us to help us to be wholly devoted to you. And God, when we, when we fail you, because we know that we do so many times, God, help us to confess those, those shortcomings to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. And God, for the, maybe the person who's hearing this for the first time, maybe for the first time you are convicting their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Let them become your child. Let them see all that the world has to offer, but see you as being more valuable, more precious, more important. And respond by trusting you alone for salvation. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.